thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. just want to tell you, Kim's got her mouth full again. <laughs> Don't! I was doing that so cleverly. You're no, such no. a chat. Well, she's got this big apple. I had the little apple. She had the big apple. Mine's finished, gone, kaput, and she is still going. Well, I just wanted to get you in trouble, actually. Again? You three. You three. Yeah, because there's another person in the room. I just... The guitar over there. Mm. No, there's no Vinnie Katara. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh, you want me to say something, Karen? Is that yes. what you're asking Come me to on, do? Cindy, you because reveal. It's really funny because we said, okay, what are we going to talk about today? And we thought, we've had a few questions about pregnancy. And I said to Karen, you just start the podcast and then just hand it over to us. We've yeah. been there, done that, ticked it off, read the book, caught the bus. All I got the T-shirt. Got the T-shirt. All We're now mums. Yeah. Hey, Kimmy, do you remember when you were pregnant for the first time? Mm-hmm. How romantic it was. How beautiful it was. You know, I had no flippin' idea what I was in for. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Do you remember? Like, it was like, oh, wow. And everyone's telling you what birth's about. And, and you're going through this whole thing. And all of a sudden, you get into labour. And you go through it. And you go, that's what they were talking about? <laughs> I went, they did not describe that very well at all. And That was not in the brochure. That was not in the brochure. It wasn't in the books. It wasn't in the, the birthing. It was the birthing things. I went, but you know what I felt? I felt I belonged to a club. Mm. I felt like I had finally made it to that club. And I don't know what club it was. And I don't think it was the club of motherhood, but the club of... Pure fatigue. Understanding. Yeah. <laughs> How hilarious. <Worry. laughs> yeah, it's a good club. Mm. Mm. <laughs> A great club, a great club. Saggy boobs. Mm-hmm. You want me to go on? You floppy okay. fanny. <laughs> oh, no. Did you say that? Is that what happens? Apparently. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I Carry didn't on. know. Is that in the brochure? Uh, no, it's not in the brochure. Definitely not. It wasn't in the brochure. Mm-mm. Okay. <laughs> Trust you to say something like she that. She obviously knows because I didn't well, know. I just remember... <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't even know who you are sometimes. I just remember the amount of men that say stupid things like if the woman's getting stitched or something, I'll put an extra one in for me, dog. That's <laughs> like... <laughs> for real? For real. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. their way of kind of having a mm-hmm. joke. I don't imagine that would be very funny at the time. Not to the person on the table, the one with the legs up in the air being stitched. Not at Not all. Because <laughs> I remember actually Danny trying that and I said, you know what? After what I've been through, you will never be going near that again. <laughs> you bloody right. <laughs> I don't think he wanted to at that point anyway. I remember a, a girlfriend of mine, um, soon after I'd had Brogan, so this is like 25 years ago, I remember she had her first child. And um, her first child, um, she had a, a stirrup delivery. So mine, I was had on all fours. I had a very different birth. Um, I wasn't going to bow to the doctor. I I remember my doctor saying to me, I said, you know what, I deliver on all fours. And he says to me, that's not convenient for me. And I went, I don't really care what's convenient for you, but I do care what's convenient for me. And so I left that doctor straight away. But what was interesting is that her husband was watching the birth and she was on the stirrups. She had the stirrups in the air. She was on her back. And when that baby flew out, she actually tore front ways, not usually backways they they a lot of people tear backways but she tore frontways through the clitoris all the way through yeah it was horrible and and her husband said to me he went i saw my sex life just leave (laughs) as i saw the flesh fly he said he said he saw his sex life just leave (laughs) and it is it's it's did she heal um well they said to her well when because when they stitched her up she was lift lift Missing a labium and a <laughs> Karen's just mouthed to me, what's that? <laughs> Kim, should I know what that is? Kim, anatomy? Anatomy, tell her what a labium is. <laughs> should I know what that is? I mean, is this Yeah, well, you do have helpful? two of them. Oh, I should know. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
Mm. Oh, she's funny. The little, like, your little... Um, Flaps? Mm. <laughs> Some do. Have you not seen that show, um, Embarrassing Bodies? Oh my gosh, people have had labium repairs, labium trims, labium. Oh, really? Mm. Oh, they have them shortened because some are long, some are short, and, and they, they, they actually have. I don't um, know that's what they were called. Clearly. <laughs> they actually have. This is what blew me away is that, that people actually have that all fixed up looking pretty and looking nice. I don't know how you can make that look pretty and nice, actually. Well, compare it to a penis, and I think it's quite hot. Seriously. Have you seen one of them? <laughs> no, I haven't. That's why I've been pregnant three times. I had the immaculate conception. <laughs> what does... What's it? That's the last chicken in the shop look. <laughs> oh, what are you people? Anyway... <laughs> Um, no, sorry, no, to no, our young no, listeners, no. to our young listeners, what prompted this conversation today is... We have no idea. Is um, <laughs> We were talking, we've been asked a lot about pregnancy and birth and natural birth and things like that. And I know some of you might switch the podcast off, but stay with us because it's quite interesting. <laughs> oh, I think um, it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> um, but what we were looking at, Cindy wrote an article on um, 50 things that did not were not done when my mother... With giving baby. babies, which yeah. I'm 53, yeah. to what is happening now. And, and yeah, I just kind of went... We just thought we'd run through these. If we can get through the 50, we will. But let's, let's try it. Like, number one is, when your mother became pregnant, she was not given glucose tolerance tests, nor did she have scans to assess the time when the baby was due. She just knew approximately that that was good enough for her. Yeah, yeah. But now we have, now we have um, scans, and everyone has their scan, um, to, to find out when the baby's due and if everything's okay. We have multiple scans. You have multiple scans. There's a, there's a, I don't know, but there is a regimen amount of time that you can have these scans. And I like go, well, I questioned it. Like, so I had my babies, um, my first one's now 24, 25 this year. This is terrible. Like, he's 25 this year. So I had my babies that long ago and I questioned the scan and they were doing scans at that point and I went, why do I need a scan? And they said, well, to determine the date. And I went, well, I know when I got pregnant, so let's just count from there. So that was, and my mum, they didn't have scans back then. And does it really matter if you're a day or two out? Well, it does for the paediatrician or the, sorry, the obstetrician who, who wants to know or for the mother who really does want to know who's organised and anal like and precisely why it didn't happen. <laughs> Karen Smith. The rules would not have matched <laughs> they wouldn't have been. She would have wanted it on this date, at this time. It would have been packaged away. So that I could do my work around it. Exactly. Because I had a very busy schedule. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so we know that scan. What is your belief on scans? Because uh, people have multiple scans They have multiple now. scans. Look, if there's a, a real need for it because of a genetic predisposition that is 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 going to have a child that maybe is um, anencephalic, which means no brain, or very micro brain or microcephalic, then you might consider it. But then there's the decision: am I going to abort the baby or not? So you know there there are these questions in, and you know what, scans and and amniocentesis um, tests are not accurate all the time. Mm. There, actually, there was a a law. Um, a case that just came up and it was where the the parents were told that the child had such and such a disease and I can't remember what it was and when the baby was aborted and it was aborted at quite oh. a late date there was nothing wrong with that. Oh my god. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. So you know so they're not accurate they're not 100%. Oh that's I've got so I've got another sad. friend whose belief is it is what it is hmm. and it doesn't matter to her whether the baby has I mean, of course she wants a healthy, beautiful yes, baby. Yes, of course we but do. But to her, it's more important that she'll, she'll be given or blessed with what she's blessed with. And, that's I think, and you know what? When we go back to last week's podcast, I was, just, I, I was just thinking just then, it's the contrast between thinking that something is, if it's not perfect, it's a problem, as opposed to seeing everything as purposeful. Mm. Isn't mm. that? Mm. 
Mm. I like this one. I love that view. Yeah. I like this one, Sydney. Are we still on one? Because we haven't finished one. I think there's... We've got 50 to get through. I know, but I think this is really important, especially if we're talking about pregnancy. That And I've just had this happen um, recently as I had a, a young girl that's been following me. She's 27. She's just her third child. So she's been following me for quite some time. And she rang me and said, the baby is really big for the period I'm at in my term. And the doctor wants to do a glucose tolerance test on me because they think I've got gestational diabetes. And I said to her, you know, I knew what her diet was like. There was, to me... Unless there is some real issue with her food, I couldn't see how she could have gestational diabetes. She doesn't, you know, eat grains. She doesn't do many carbohydrates. She does meats and fats and things like that. So I kind of questioned it a little bit and I said, tell you what, you, you, you can either refuse it or you can go armed to your doctor so you don't have to take that gooey glucose. And she said the last time she did the glucose tolerance test, and that was before she started following me, she was as sick as a dog for a day. Oh, wow. So there's like there's flavors in it and there's color in there. I don't know if there's color in it anymore, but there's flavors and it's it's glucose made from the wheat grain and it's not it's just a horrible mix of things. So I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you just go armed? I said, go, she could rent a, a glucose monitor, so where she could just prick her finger after meals, forty minutes after a food, and just and then when she wakes up in the morning and see what her blood glucose was, five, perfect. Every single day, meal. Her blood wasn't going up and down, nothing. She had no way gestational diabetes. So she marked it all down, took it to her doctor and said, I don't have gestational diabetes. This is what I've done. This is my checking. So I don't need to take that horrible glucose that you're going to give me that I was sick for a day. And she, and she was really worried about her baby. Mm. She said, I've been doing everything right and then they're going to give me this stuff. So I, I believe these the ultrasound and the glucose tolerance tests and the amniocentesis is maybe for people who really don't look after themselves. But for the person who is really thinking and is rational about what they're doing and is really eating well and doing things right, I don't I don't know if this is for us. I never did it because and maybe a lot of those things are all like we were saying before, Karen, that it's done out of fear of the wrong rather than trusting the right, yeah. whatever right is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just a different question sometimes to ask. Instead of saying what is wrong with the situation, say what's right with the situation. Mm. And it's you know, it's and neither one is right or wrong either. It's just a way of thinking and one gives us a little bit more fear and one gives us a little bit more peace and control and a bit more say in the matter, I think. Yeah. Okay, so can we move on? Because there's 48, 49 to go. Okay. Yeah. I just want. I was going to really give you a new word for the day, actually. What? We, we got that? it at DG on Sunday, actually. Oh. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago when we were at DG together. So, yeah. and it's just stuck in my mind, and I've been wanting to say it in a podcast for the last three weeks, so I'd like to say it now. All right. If I could. So it's called Disrationalia. Disrationalia. Disrationalia, and it means it is defined as the inability to think and behave. Rationally, despite adequate intelligence. Wow, like it? Um, I liked it too, and that's how I see this mm. the whole thing what you were talking about that mm. you've got all this intelligence, you've got this information that you but you you are you know not rational with your behavior mm. and i actually think is if you are eating eating well and then they go through all of these things you got to do while you're pregnant and then the food the diet okay that really gets me is the diet I, and i'm not sure if that's one of these numbers i'll come to it Okay, so but the, the diet that you're given, so you're allowed to take antidepressants and you're allowed to take medications, but you're not allowed to eat chicken that's day old. You're not allowed to eat um, lettuce, cucumber, soft cheeses. Um, One lady didn't have, she was pregnant um, at a breakfast I was at the other day, she wouldn't eat the eggs. In fact, she didn't eat anything. She had a little bit of fruit. She didn't eat the eggs. And I said, what's wrong with that? She goes, oh, there's something, I've been told not to eat eggs and mushrooms during my pregnancy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to... Not her, but you've got to laugh oh at what. See, what's happened is that she doesn't know that. She's That's been right. told by medical science that mm. this is what they're not allowed to do because mm. of listeria and Escherichia coli and all these things. But um, I, 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 I fail to believe that chemotherapy and antidepressants are, are safer than chicken oh, or cucumber on the drug. or white cheese. Or I don't, I don't get that rationale why they're saying don't go off these diet things. So if you are pregnant or thinking, you know, you want to get pregnant or anything like this, these are things that you must, crit- I believe we need to critically think, mm-hmm. really critically think. Okay. 
challenging though. It's tough though because we don't know. And so we look to the experts, obviously up for a chatters are a little bit different because they're exposed to some, some other ways of thinking. But that would be challenging. I would, I would imagine even for myself, that would be challenging because you've got experts saying, don't go there, don't have any of that sort of stuff. And you don't know yourself. You know when it stops being a challenge is when you start doing your own research, your own understanding. You've got that child in front of you and you start believing in the knowledge that you've learned or people you trust. Right. I totally get that because I was the same. Mm. And then you have some parents, grandparents, well-meaning aunties and uncles saying, oh my gosh, you're eating cheese or you're doing this. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it takes a strong... Because you've um, got to combat that as well. And you've got to have fairly good answers for these yeah. people. Or if something, God forbid, does go wrong, <laughs> they all knew why. Yeah, yeah. You know, the reason Taylor ended up um, with pneumonia in hospital apparently is because I don't eat meat. So, um, yeah, that's what I got told by right. well-meaning. But you eat chicken and fish. Yeah, but because I don't eat red meat, that was why Taylor got pneumonia. So, and, so you've, and you've got to learn to take those and go, oh, okay, I appreciate your thoughts, thanks. And, and leave it on. You know yeah, what I think? Right. It, I think what it is is it's a philosophy. But if yeah, you've, you've said that before, yeah, I love that. I really believe if you have a, a philosophy about um, life, as you do, Karen, you know, your whole thing is everything's purposeful. Mm. If you have a philosophy about um, your body and your food, you know, and we, my philosophy is always vitalism, mm. not mechanism. I don't look at the body as this tiny little part of it and I've got to look at that part and deal with that. Yeah, yeah. I look at it vitalistic. I look at food vitalistic. I don't look at... I don't look at nutrition um, as far as fat, salts and, and sugars and things like that. I look at the whole food. So I look at everything vitalistically. And then, Kim, how you look at things is that you look at what we're putting on our skin and how we, we move our bodies. So the other things that you are looking at. And why are you looking at like that, right. my darling? Because right. she's wondering what her philosophy is. Your mm. philosophy is your movement. Your philosophy is, is what we put on your skin. Your ph- philosophy is your family rituals. Your, you know, like we listen to your philosophy all the time. You just, See, you know what she did? She did what we, you were talking about last week. You know how you were talking about last week that we have this little chatter in our brain that we're not oh. good enough. Yeah, not. And that we don't have a philosophy. And what's my philosophy? No, oh. I was wondering what your perception of my philosophy was. Oh, is that what it was, yes. was it? I'm thinking, wow, so you're so clear on everything. What's mine? What are you going to give to me? I thought you were being really ridiculing about yourself, oh, no. darling. No, I, no, my philosophy, I think, Yours is, is, is unbelievable. on all levels. Yeah, yeah and, and your family rituals and, and the whole thing around that. So I actually feel, and you know what? When they finally had that baby, <laughs> that's when parenting comes in. And you need a philosophy on parenting as well. Mm. Do you smack the kid? Do you yell at the kid? Do you treat that kid as an equal? Do you, do you do guide that program? kid? Do you, do you feed not on do demand? a sleep program? Do you, oh my God. And that is not part of this podcast, everybody. Parenting is not part of this podcast. No. So, okay. I, look, I just think it, it's around philosophy. And if you have a philosophy, then you're not going to be turned every single way with, oh, should I be doing that? Or, oh, what do we call ourselves, Kimmy? The old oh, girls? Yeah, the old girl. So you're walking along and you go, oh, that looks really nice and shiny and bright. Let's go that way. Oh, oh, no, let's go the other way over there. Oh, 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 no. So we call ourselves the old girls, Karen. Because we do, do a little bit of it. We yeah. do do a little but bit. But I think once you're pregnant or wanting to get pregnant, yeah. you do start reading a lot and you can start making your own... Um, philosophy. Even yeah. though you didn't realise you had one before, you will start forming one. Yeah. Becoming a parent is probably one of the greatest times where you will decide on a philosophy, I agree. Well, actually, Target knows this. Mm. Did you know that? The, ta- the store Target knows this. Mm. They know that if they can convince you to buy from them while you're pregnant with your first child, that they have you for life. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's in The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he talks about how Target... Um, their main thing is to get you while you're pregnant. So Target, for those listeners who are overseas, is... Target's in America. Oh, is it? Yeah, well, I know it's in America. I don't know about England. Oh, well, anyway, Target's a big department store. It's a, it's a huge department store. And what they do is that, you know, you get those um, uh, fly-by... Um, what are they call, called? Loyalty cards. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you may use cash or you may put a loyalty card in. You know, you may do a, a loyalty card and they'll figure out what you're buying and they'll know whether you are ah. pregnant or not. And they'll send literature to your house in order to get you while you're pregnant. So just be aware. Wowza. 
It's in everything, really, isn't it? Yeah, it's in everything. That's just one that I know of. All right. Okay. So we're going to go through a few of these quickly. Okay, let's do it. So, Cindy, in your mum's day, my mum, probably your mum's day, um, there were no inductions, or very few, and the schedule was based on the baby when it was due, not not when it was convenient for everyone else. Is that right? They didn't get your babies induced? No, no. They came when they came. And what's really interesting is that the French have a very different um, way of figuring out the due date to what we do in Australia. I don't know America or anything like that. I just know the difference between Australia and the French. And the French do it on when you ovulate, where they figure it that's your due date after they count 40 weeks after you ovulate, whereas the Australians do it on the first day of your last period. Oh, right. Which means that one is 40 weeks and one is 42 weeks, or one is... That's yeah, how it works. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, you know, like it doesn't even make sense. So when you're at 42 weeks, they induce you. They, there is no question. Yeah, absolutely. They will induce you. Yet the French, that's their due date. And so they wait another two weeks. Yet in Africa, the, you know, when we were in Africa, my dad wrote this amazing book called The Difference of Black and White. And the Africans will just have their baby when they have their baby. Mm. There's no induction. There's none of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And he talks about the contrast between the white woman, you know, that the, the, the black person was working in the fields, pregnant, and the white woman was living in her big house, pregnant, and both of them were due on the same day, and the white woman gets carted off in an ambulance, and the black woman was, was having her baby in the field, has the baby, digs a hole, has the baby, throws the baby on the back and gets back to work. <laughs> oh, I'm glad she didn't put the baby in the hole. <laughs> No, well, the baby was placenta. into the hole. Yeah. The placenta yeah. went into the hole. Yeah. yeah, so the woman, the black woman squats over the hole the most mm. natural way and gives birth to the baby and mm. births the baby into the hole mm. and then takes the baby, cleans it up and pops it on her back and there's her beautiful baby born and she's there's no trauma around it, there's no drama mm. around it, whereas the white woman, there was all this drama. Well, I must admit, when I was giving birth, amazing. I could not imagine there being any more drama um, based around... Uh, Danny, Danny, didn't he, well, um, he fainted? fainted. Yes, he oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> but I do remember, I think it was Danny's mum whispering in my ear, it might have been the midwife, said, don't worry, because I said I was going to die. Like, I really did think I was going to die. It right. hurt that much, because oh, no goodness. one had written that. I mean, they say it hurts, but no one really... They didn't put that in the brochure. No, not the way I experienced it in that moment. And then Sandy, I think, whispered in my ear, sweetheart, millions of women have done this before you. <laughs> you will be okay. <laughs> God, she's beautiful good. Thing to say. She's just there brilliant. was a big drama going on on the table in that moment. Okay, yeah. C-sections were just, far and few between. Yeah, just before we go to the the C-section and everything like that, um, hypnobirthing is something that um, oh, yeah. a lot of women do now because we're not really taught about. There is a fear, and you contract when the contractions totally. are telling you to get rid of the baby, and then you have that rest time. Let, let's reframe. Let's say it to those people that are romantically pregnant for the first time. You're not getting rid of anything. You oh, are birthing an extraordinary human right, being. Okay, I said that really so, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> As you are getting the baby no, ready down skin. the birth canal to give birth to no, this skin. amazing being, not get rid of this thing. <laughs> well, you are. You, you know, like it's like it's ready to come out and nothing's stopping it. And you like your contractions going, then you... Trust us, when you're in the middle of labour, you want to get rid of it. Yeah, you do. <laughs> Uh, birth if you aren't ha- haven't had a baby yet, but get rid of otherwise. Anyway, um, hypnobirthing, if, if you haven't heard of it and mm. you're pregnant, we recommend you go and have a look at it because it's really interesting. So well, you just want to say something about that? <laughs> it's going to be a four-podcast series. <laughs> One of our girlfriends um, did Min. hypnobirthing. One yes. of our girlfriend's men did hypnobirthing. Oh, yes. Um, and so did Janine. Janine did hypnobirthing as well. I think so, I think so, yeah. Well, I know from Min's perspective, I said to her, was it like horrendous, horrendous? And I was just expecting this great, dreadful story. And she said to me, you know what? She said it wasn't anywhere near as bad as what people had said that it was going to be. Mm, And she, she said it wasn't anywhere near as bad as that. She said, yeah, she said it hurt, but it wasn't like death defying pain. Yeah, I think that's what happened for me the second time. First time I was so scared, it happened so quick. And I did go into a bit of shock, and I had no idea, and I was contracting every single pain, as in I was contracting with every single pain. Whereas when I had Jacob, I remember, I think I've said this on a podcast before, but Sandy saying in my ear, remember the ebb and flow of the tide. It comes in, it goes out. Mm. So work with the pain and release the pain. And that was such good... She's so wise. It was such a good wise... I think Mm. I recommend if you are a bit of a drama queen, (laughs) then have someone that's quite... 
calming. Mm. A doula. They, you know, doulas are very, very... What's a doula? A doula is someone that comes in and really helps you with your mind and your body and just becomes your advocate oh. in, in, you know, in what you're doing. And you do it. need advocates. Like you my husband lovely. was my advocate. When I'm saying, give me every drug under the sun, put a zipper in my stomach, I don't care what the hell you do, but get that thing out. And I was. That was number one. Um, and that's transition. That's, you're in transition at that point when you go absolutely loopy. And he, you know, he had learnt enough that he, he said, you know, Cindy, we said we would do this this way. And I'm like ready to kill him. Um, but then I went into ready to push. It was amazing. But you need those advocates that know what they're doing. And doulas more so than husbands um, are people that are because yeah, if it's a husband like mine, this. he will pass out. Yes, he will so pass just warning. Out. They're not much help on the floor, just saying. <laughs> no, you actually don't need Danny as your doula. Get a, get a doula. Just or, get or a doula. as he said, get him to stand up the top end, not the engine room end. <laughs> so he was fine up the top end. Um, I have been privileged to be at six births, invited by people to be at six births. Oh, my goodness. With my oils and spritzes and compresses and just and being that advocate for women and my goodness what an honor what a privilege to watch a new life come into this world using the oils and, and intrinsically picking up on her feelings and which oils to work with mm. and sometimes I've had to take the, the husband out of the room and actually calm him down because they freak a little bit seeing their husband their wife in so much pain and <laughs> sometimes they get sworn at and hurt and abused yeah they do hit punch um, kick and they can't, they've never seen their wife like that quite primal and tribal <laughs> and quite <laughs> aggressive um, but and some stay very calm. Like I, I've seen pictures of women giving birth and almost look quite orgasmic in their face. And that's in hypnobirthing. That's right. They do that. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah. So like it, it's changing the perception, as mm-hmm. you always talk about. It's changing the perception of what is actually happening. You know, we're all given these dreaded stories. And if anyone who is pregnant hears a dreaded story, just ask them to stop. Mm. Don't give me your birth story. Oh, that's I what don't. I loved hearing all their birth stories. Well, oh, the nice ones, no, yes, but no, not I the horrific no, ones. No, I didn't even mind hearing the horrific ones. You oh, know no. why? Because with my mindset where I was at with it, it was like, oh, good, I'll make sure I won't have one of those. <laughs> like, seriously. Okay, all like, right. I kind of I'll took it there. <laughs> well, that's your story. Yeah, no, it is my story. Well, men, yeah. men actually said that she didn't want to hear anybody's stories. Mm. She didn't want to hear whether it was good or it was bad. She didn't want to hear anybody's stories because it was just going to go her way. I think it's beautiful. Yeah, and she kept you can be in that mindset. That's fine. But then if someone tells you a story, someone tells you a story. You don't have to take it on. Mm. Mm. You know? And, and also women, once you're in the club, some of them like to share their story. Yeah. Quite explicitly. Yes, they do, don't they? Okay, C-sections, far and few between, only an extreme emergency. Were there many C-sections around in your mum's day? No, not at all. And the C-sections are, are coming about because we're inducing. That's one of the reasons they're doing it is because we're inducing. So... We need to, we you know, we need to think about what we're doing previously. And I'm not saying that there are times when you must have a C-section, but I have heard this: if you do have a C-section, and you bring that baby to the breast, um, that there should also be. And I'm sorry if I freak you right out here, Karen. Oh, here we go. Okay, I'm but we are. Myself. But basically, uh, the vaginal fluids. Oh. Should be sorry. Oh, really? Put around. You were no, warned. Around the areola. Because the vaginal um, bacteria and the anal bacteria oh. is the same. <laughs> She's freaking out. I knew she would. I should have just told her to hold her ears. So you put it around the, um, the breast and make sure that that... Because that's the minute they get their um, probiotics. That's the minute they get their bacteria. And if your bacteria is working brilliantly, then theirs will start to work brilliantly. They won't be sterile. So, okay, we can move on, Karen, if you'd like to. She's vomiting over there. <laughs> I could take it into a whole sexual connotation. Oh, you yeah, don't because... mind it then, do you? No, because... she has oh. got her hands over her eyes. She oh. <laughs> looks like a little girl. <laughs> oh, no, because I'm thinking to myself, imagine if, you know, you were 30 and somebody tells you that their mother did that. You know, and you... Anyway, moving right along. Moving right along. Let's keep going here. Um, television closed at 9.30 and didn't open till late in the afternoon the following day. Oh, Test that... patterns on the TV were given were a given for most of the day. That's so how did that come in? That was number twelve. Did we just skip from one to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you wanna... just, Kim just got us sharing. Oh, you're sharing now. Okay. Yeah. Or do we want to stay on the pregnancy vein? No. I mean, no, no, no. We might as well because we've got. Oh, I think okay. this is important. Still yeah, it kind of yeah, goes through their life. Yeah. Because we've gone from having a baby to them watching telly. 
Yeah, no, and when did that happen? Honey, I thought the whole 50 were about pregnancy. No, this is about television it's and about sunscreens. Pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can you just give me half I just want you to know that we questions. do prep quite a lot. For, for <laughs> quite a lot of I do the prep. Give it to them. <laughs> She's lying. <laughs> so. Okay, well, I'm back to the babies. All right, then. No vitamin K. Now, this is an interesting mm. one. No vitamin K mm. were given in those days. I was told when I didn't want my daughter to have her vitamin K injection or I questioned it, they went, she could die. Those words freaked me out as a newborn mother and I said, I better have it then because I thought my baby would die. And that's fear, living in fear. I did. Yeah. And no one was there to tell me otherwise. Where were yeah. you? Where were you? I wasn't with you, that's for sure. <laughs> Look, let me give you an example. So just recently, a friend of mine, had, had has, she reads my stuff, actually. I don't think Shani and Julia said by me. You've told the story. Have I? About have vitamin I? K? Yeah, she rang you and you gave her the report. Yeah. It's in another podcast. Okay, it's in another podcast. We won't repeat it now. Move on. Well, uh, you can now, because <laughs> some people might not have heard it. Yeah, okay. So so basically, Shani and Julia, and I must have said their name. So Shani um, and Julia were having num- baby number two, I think. And they were asking me questions about, you know, what I thought. And I said, look, um, here's the information on vitamin K. Make up your own mind. They read it and then they said to their doctor, we won't be giving our child vitamin K. And the doctor said, I have watched a baby die of hemorrhagic disease, which is what vitamin K is meant to to stop. Hmm. And so she, of course, Johnny rang me absolutely beside herself and said, Timmy, I don't know what to do. And I said, I'll tell you what. Ask the doctor for all the information on how many um, babies are dying from hemorrhagic disease. Ask for the statistics. Um, ask them everything you can possibly, scientific-wise, ask them what we're meant to be doing. And then, um, and I'll bring up, I have a 67-page document, all, all cited, all reports on um, the whole thing with vitamin K. Anyway, she asked the doctor. The doctor gave her a coloured pamphlet, and I gave her the 67-page document. So... I, I just think... Um, so what did they do? Did they get the vitamin no, K in they the didn't. They didn't. They didn't. No, they just decided that they'd had a child. They had had antibiotics. They had a child um, to do things. So all, you know, all good. So vitamin K, yeah, vitamin K, um, which is part of um, pregnancy. I love this. I love this. You, you should see the notes going between these two girls. <laughs> So that's why I stopped right then. Um, so vitamin K is definitely, um, like it's important for people who have had um, a lot of antibiotics in their life or things like that, but it's not for everybody. And you have to figure out if you're the one that it's for or not for. for. And it's about educating yourself about this, that it not be something that you just get given or the child's given. So a little kid obviously hasn't had, or brand new little baby, sorry, hasn't had a life of antibiotics. So but you have. The, the mother has. The mother has, yes. So do they give it to the mother as well? No, no, the mother... See, vitamin K is made from um, the gut bacteria. You know, you do consume some of it, but a lot of it's made from gut bacteria. So if the mother doesn't have enough vitamin K made by the bacteria because she's been taking antibiotics, then there's not enough bac- vitamin K in her blood. She doesn't give enough to the baby, and therefore then the baby hasn't enough vitamin K, and they could have hemorrhagic disease, which is bleeding. That's what it is. It's just they bleed because vitamin K is part of your clotting factors. And so I, I think what happens is that um, we, we think, we look at it and we go, well, statistically, you know, 5% of the population are having this, so let's just give it to everybody. So, and I have a real issue with that. I have a real issue with mass medication. Mm. So I have an issue with the ultrasound, you know, the glucose tolerance test, the amniocentesis, and whatever else they're giving mothers at the moment. I have no idea. I need to probably look into it. I have an issue with induction if the baby isn't ready. I have, a, I have so many of those issues because these are... Um, because this is what's happening to 5% of the population, then let's do it to everybody. So I question every single time when this is happening. And so vitamin K was one of the things I questioned. And I remember questioning it um, when I was about, I think I was about six months pregnant. And they, I said, now nothing will be given to me and the baby and everything's clean and everything will be natural. And the midwife just looked at me and she goes, except for the Kanakian and the Centimetrin. And the what? The, oh. Exactly. That's what I did. Except for the Kanakian and the Centimetrin. And I went... It's Kanakian and Sintametrine. And that's when I first got told that your baby was given vitamin K. That's when I, was first, I first got told that. And, and then, um, then I found out they give me Sintametrine to give my, um, get the placenta out. 
um, and oh. to contract the uterus. And I went, hang on, doesn't my body do this normally and naturally? Yeah. That's what I said. And doesn't, does my baby need vitamin K? And, you know, this whole rigmarole went along as I was, I was asking the story uh, and asking questions. And she said, it's just, we just give it to you. And I said, and when were you going to tell me that you were going to give it to me? And they said, we don't tell you, we just give it to you. I think that's the hard thing as, as a mother, a newborn mother. You actually, it, it is quite scary. You don't know what you should or shouldn't do, particularly when they threaten you with, well, not threaten, but they suggest death or illness. Yeah, or It's hard. It's very hard. Um, okay, so, so I just want to ask you then, so from your point of view, from a vitamin K point of view, I mean, would you, you would not do it. That's what you're saying. I wouldn't do it because I've researched it and I know that my gut that, um, flora is fine and I know that my vitamin K status is fine and I knew all these things. But I had to research it. I was like anybody else. I didn't take anything for granted. I went, what? Why are you doing this? So, you know, I just went out and researched and I looked at both sides of the story. So for somebody who has had a life of lots of antibiotics and leaky gut and lots of dramas... Would you suggest... And they've had a bad diet? Yeah. And and the the pregnant... And the... Like, yeah, like... They would probably... They would probably need to look at it. The thing is, is that find out everything. Learn about it and make your decision based on knowledge, not fear. Yeah, yeah. And if you base it on knowledge... And it's like what we were talking about last week. You know, when we were talking about... Which is first? In the chicken or the egg? Yeah, yeah, You know, is it mind or is it the body? If you do not, if you're scared of the vitamin K and you base it on fear, as opposed to information, then I think, uh, you know, I, I think that that's where the chicken and the egg happens. Yeah. Does the mind get into? And and what you have in the mind is just as important as what as that baby, mm. because you you are so in sync with that baby all oh, the time, absolutely. and what you are thinking, they are are feeling. feeling it. Mm. So I think it's really important that that they do that. So what's the deal with the Hep B vaccinations then? Because Hep B comes within 24 hours of the birth. But, I mean, what, to what extent are babies exposed to Hepatitis B? Well, I know. If you're not a prostitute or been using drugs and, and needles, your exposure to Hep B is, is quite low. And what I learnt just recently um, is that I learnt that the Hep B is actually not for the baby, but it's to protect another... Me- another um, members of society and I'm sorry but I have totally um, forgotten which member of the society it is but it's actually not about the baby and I think I think the thing is is that if you are going to vaccinate that you consider when will that child be exposed to hep B when will when will when will that happen if you're and this is another thing that I think mothers really have to think about is that mothers have to think about the exposure of their child to other communities than their own community. So let's say, let's go back in the olden days, back to the hunter-gatherer, back to agricultural revolution. You lived within a community. The mother had the immune system of the community. So if someone had a, a some sort of infection or disease or something like that, the mother would normally have got it and got the immunity to it. And so then when you start to give colostrum and breastfeed, then you pass on your immunity to that child. And that child is protected as a result of your immune system. Right. That's your community. But what if you take it outside of your community where you've always got the baby in the shopping centre, you've always got the baby out and about, you're not really considering that first, especially six weeks of its life. Well, actually, Steiner philosophy talks about that for 42 days, seven weeks, mm. your baby stays home and builds their immunity, their their whole um, that those first seven weeks of development mm. are very much precious precious times with and bonding times with the mother, the father, and the baby. My mum said that when us three kids that she kept us home for the first six weeks. We didn't go out anywhere. Mm. It was just in the home. I think it's a bad her. thing. I actually think it's a really good thing. And, and the other thing is not passing your baby to everybody. Oh, you know, one lady said to me yeah. once, she said, mm. oh, don't hand your baby, because everyone kept asking me to hold one of my babies. And I said, no. um, oh, and I was really funny about it. And they thought I was just being a precious mother. But another lady had said to me, a beautiful spiritual woman said, 
oh no, every time someone holds your baby, they're bruising. It's like bruising that delicate skin. Well, that was enough for me to protect my babies. They weren't. But also, they may not be part of your community. You know, no, well, that's right, and they've got their own. Yeah, they may not be part of your community, and therefore. Um, they may have an infection that you don't have an antibody to. Yeah. So I, I actually believe, uh, you know, Stein is saying seven weeks, go for the seven week. Mm. Just keep the baby within your community. Don't pass it around. You can pass it to grandmothers and, yeah, and children of your own. in your own community, but don't pass it past that. Right. You know, keep it with that community. Um, now, we just have to tell our listeners that the dear Kim Morrison is leaving because her gorgeous son he just landed he's he's landed early so i am departing the podcast but let me say this this is the first time this has ever happened in our 67 hours of podcasting that someone has left the room early well you know we're talking babies this is her baby and he's 14 and my little motherly instinct is going i just gotta go get my boy you know you can't leave him at the airport standing there waiting for you no well he probably will yeah um but anyway (laughs) but i i get yeah and that's that's you know that's what this whole podcast is about and and i'm sure the beautiful listeners will be entertained by you two tarts for the next 20 minutes i love you all (laughs) (laughs) see you love so going okay, back so to what we were talking about was yeah. is, is I think it's really important that we stay within that community. Um, there's a, a book out called The Red Tent. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, we talked about it a couple of times. And The Red yeah. Tent, um, when a woman has her baby, she stays in the tent for four weeks and is pampered by the women around her. Now, we don't have that community anymore. But if we could have that community, I think we'd have a lot more children that we'd be protected from um, other community Um, problems that are happening out there as in hep b yeah like i just kind of think i go why are we giving a newborn baby hep b like i i I don't get it maybe if you want to do it in a year give it in a year but to give it to a newborn baby really scares me so the thing that i'm thinking about and correct me if i'm wrong when they give these vaccinations isn't it a small dose of yeah the issue mm. so the little baby doesn't actually have the ability to fight it at that point well you know what i haven't seen the research behind it but it it, it its immune system has been dependent on the mother let's say the mother doesn't have hep b yeah so and you're breastfeeding then how does the mother help that baby deal with well, that's my the vaccination, and I don't know if it's a virus or an attenuated virus, which means, you know, a half dead virus. Um, I don't know if it's something like that that right. they're giving. I, I'm sorry, I don't know the technicality behind it. And I'm going to Google that right. while, we, while you're talking. Find out what hep, the Hep B virus is and if it's attenuated or what it is. But it's just my 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 thought is that the way that a baby gets a strong immune system is through the mother's community's immune system and how the mother has dealt with it then she passes it through her milk onto the baby so that the baby is protected from anything that's out there in the community of her community that she's had or yeah, that yeah. she's yeah that's why um i remember um my my daughter um was asked to leave kindergarten because she hadn't been vaccinated against um german measles um, even though I've had German measles and oh. therefore she should have the antibodies to it, she had not been vaccinated against it. And my daughter was asked to leave the kindergarten because um, somebody in our community who was had not been had been told that they had German measles. And it was and what I mean the community, I'm talking about the kindergarten preschool community, and that yeah. includes all the kids in the community, the parents and the siblings of the parents and the, of, of the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the babies in that community was had German measles, and it was a baby that had it. And I was asked, I was told to take my child out of school, out of kindergarten, because of it, because they were scared my child would get German measles, yet... If we go by the theory that what comes through the breast milk is the antibodies to the diseases the mother's had, then my baby would have been protected against that. But we don't look at it that way. We, you know, we, we do vaccinate. And we have done a whole thing on vaccination, and I don't want to harbour on this vaccination, but this is all these things that were not happening when my mum gave birth. And, and, and then I had to question it, and I had to ask things about it. Okay, Karen's reading wow. something. All right, read it to us, Karen, I'm about just, Hit B. Yeah, I've just been, like, scanning while Cindy's talking. Just one line here. It says the hepatitis B vaccines used in Australia contain a genetically engineered 
part of the virus and a small amount of aluminium salt, you cannot catch hepatitis B from the vaccine. Wowza. Hmm. So that's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, and then the baby gets a booster. So we have a genetically modified... It, genetically engineered. And genetically engineered. Yeah. All right. So I just look at BT corn. And, and, you know, they used to say that BT corn, which is a genetically modified corn, did not affect the digestive system of humans. So what BT corn does is BT corn, um, if a, um, an um, insect or a bug eats BT corn, it mm. explodes their stomach and they die. Oh, right. So they cannot, re- you know, they can't reproduce and therefore they die out. This is, this is genetically modified BT corn. And they used to say, well, it doesn't affect the stomachs of humans. But latest research shows that it actually does affect the stomachs of humans in that it explodes the epithelial lining between... Remember last couple of weeks we've talked about the gut, yeah. how it's the outside of the body? Well, the yes. epithelial lining is the protection between the outside of the body and the inside of the body. So what they're finding is BT corn, when you consume it, explodes the epithelial lining Get and creates out. a leaky gut. So... I, look, I it even um, I'm sorry, but I I find it really hard that they've genetically engineered a virus. Yeah, and that's what gets and that's what's the, given to the child. It says here um, possible side effects, common side effects, uh, minor and they disappear quickly. But it says a soreness, redness, and swelling, mild fever, and a temporary small lump at the injection site. And the extremely rare side effect is uh, effect is anaphylaxis. Yeah, interesting. Hmm. I Look, for me, I'm not going to say do it or don't do it. All I'm saying is educate yourself. I think know what super important. Know what kind of vitamin K is being injected into your baby. What are the other things? How is the vitamin K made? We know that vitamin A is made from acetone. We know that B1 is made from the petrochemical industry. We know that vitamin C is made from either genetically modified corn or hybridized wheat. We know this stuff. So how is vitamin K made? Maybe that's something I need to do a little bit of research on. You know, when you're pregnant, there are so many things to think about. And yeah. most, most women these days don't have the luxury of time. They usually work right up until the last minute of, before they give birth. But I would really implore people to take a little bit of time maybe out of their social life as opposed to their work life because maybe they need to work because of financial reasons. Yeah. But maybe take some time out of their financial, um, out of their, their play life to just do a little bit of work and a little bit of research um, based on a philosophy that you believe, you know, and if your philosophy is that, you know, what, the power that heals the body um, or the power that makes the body heals the body, which is vitalistic um, force, if I'm doing the right things um, or what are the right things, then, you know, do I need all of these things that they're telling me that I need? Mm. Do I need to continue to do that? Do I need to have ultrasounds? Do I need to have glucose tolerance tests? Do I, you know, do I need to have an amniocentesis? And, and do I need to be induced because I've been told that the likelihood of my baby at 42 weeks is that they'll die? And that's what my sister-in-law was told. She got to 42 weeks and they said, um, well, you're not allowed to have it in a birthing centre. You'll have to have it in the hospital because they were in a birthing centre. You'll have to have it in the hospital. And, you know, it put my sister-in-law into a frenzy. She said, but I'm planning to have it in there. And they said, well, you're at 42 weeks. You're in danger zone. You have to have it in a, in a hospital because your baby could die. Oh, my God. So she went into a frenzy and so rang me and Marcus rang me. My brother rang me and we had a chat about it. And I just said... Guys, if it was it, if we were in France right now, you'd be on your due date right now, because it is a two week difference. Yeah, yeah. Because of the way they count it. Mm. So why don't you just relax about it and tell them you don't want to be induced? You have the power. And you know what? Uh, I think the next day she went into labour, had a couple of hour birth, delivered a beautiful, healthy boy. Did she have to? Did they force her to go to the hospital? No, no, no. Oh, she had to still go to the hospital. She had to have the, the birth in the hospital. Right. But my brother was a wonderful advocate. They had a midwife. I think they had a doula with them, and they were able. And because she progressed so beautifully, because she wasn't induced, mm, mm. because sometimes induction really creates a powerful birth, 
Whereas when you let the body do it itself, it usually... And, and she decided on the position she wanted to be in. And, like, I go to their place now. And because they're having another baby, they're having baby number two. I go to their place now and they're reading books on parenting, birthing, hypnobirthing. They're just making that decision that they need to know because of what happened to them in their first birth. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. thought they knew everything. They, and they even had the, the whole issue with the blood, the rhesus blood. Oh, Should we did. take the injection? Should we not take the injection? Because my brother was, um, I don't remember exactly how it was because I remember discussing it at the time, but my brother was one um, blood type and I think he was O and my sister-in-law was an A and there was a negative and a positive in there and they were advised to have the injection for it to stop the antibodies. And so they researched that like they wouldn't believe. They just didn't go with the flow. They researched it. And after the both of them researched and my brother's pretty amazing, he really researched it, um, they said, no, we won't have it. Um, and that was because of, of not being in fear, yeah. but to be in knowledge of what was happening. Oh, look, I know there's emergency situations when you're in a hospital and you've done everything right and nothing's going to plan and this is what you've got to do, then understand, well, what are your steps in that emergency situation, such as a C-section? And, you know, I know you gagged, Karen, but okay, go. it's really important that these women know this. If they do have a C-section, then their vaginal and their anal um, bacteria is usually the same and they must um, inject that into the baby because as that baby comes out through the skin mm. it's first because it's completely clean inside yeah, you know yeah. its gut is almost it's got no ba- um, bacteria in it so when it comes through the skin the skin contact is its ver- first bacteria it comes into contact with right and so that bacteria say could be staphylococcus it's very different to your vaginal and your um, yeah, where yeah. the comes through so when when you're about to give birth your vaginal bacteria actually starts to change so as you pull the baby out from the stomach and it goes onto the breast you must make sure that your bacteria is around you know the area where it's breastfeeding and that will help colonate that that um, bowel so well and and help in the whole process of lack um, decreasing the chances of autoimmune diseases decreasing the chances of of um, immune system problems decreasing the chances of um, like an infection of some sort. So, you know, these are are all wonderful things to have knowledge about in case of this happening. And there's lots of books out there on on this. And one of my favourites is Well-Adjusted Babies by Jennifer Floriani. Oh, yes. Um, Actually, it's Jennifer Barham Floriani. I love her book. Um, And another really good um, source is Dr. Sarah Farrant who we've had on here, and her website is Vital Moms or Vital Mums. You know, she's got two, an American one if you're American and an Australian one, and it's .com. And while Jennifer talks about the real basics, Sarah takes you that step further yeah, and really helps you going through all these facets. And she has researched them all. They both have. And they both give different ideas, and they're both worth, I think, looking at. I think... Um, Jennifer's great for somebody who is is just starting out on this journey. But if you're on this journey and you know what I'm talking about and you want to go a step further, then Sarah takes you right there and right past it. And, and you know, she's, 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 just awesome. a, she's an amazing mind. She thinks. Every time somebody says something, she thinks about it. She goes, well, hang on, where does that come from? And she questions it. She questions, questions everything. everything. Mm. Does her book Vital Truth have anything about... The Vital Truth is not so much on pregnancy, but it talks about vitalism and the philosophy of vitalism. Right. And I think... So it'd be a good precursor, though. Good that would be precursor. a good way to get your head set up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And it's about reading different books. Like, you know what you said last week? You said um, that in order for something to change, you have to do the total opposite to what you were doing. Mm. And it's the same. It's if for order for you not to be part of the induction and the caesarean. Yeah. Then and, and the vitamin K and everything that's going on out there then you have to do something very different. But do it with education and information. Don't mm. do it because that's the trendy thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it with information and education. Um, and there's a, a beautiful... I, I went to a, a paediatric seminar in Virginia. In um, Virginia it was the state, can't remember the town, um, in the US. And there was an amazing lady there. And she was probably in her, her 60s. And her name was Anna May Gaskin. And she has a farm where you can go and 
birth your baby at this place. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I think her cesarean rate is 0.01. Some ridiculous amount. I think she's had one baby and all the thousands that she's ever done has been the cesarean. And so what does she claim that to be because of? Very much the way we think vitalistically. Yeah, right. Thinking very differently rather than being mechanistic about your what you're eating, um, what you need to do when you're pregnant and all of that. I, 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 don't, I hope this um, podcast is, is just about pricking somebody's... Um, curiosity. There you go, curiosity yeah. in that they may go, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I didn't know about that. I didn't... It never, it never occurred to me. Yeah. So this is what this is about. It's not about giving you the information, saying yes or no, don't do this. It's about saying, hey, did you know you have options here? Go and explore them. Go and explore them. Go and figure out, you know, what's happening there. And I just remember my mum, my dad, you know, in those days, dad wasn't, dads weren't allowed in there. My dad wasn't at any of our Men weren't allowed in the, in the, no. is that right? No, men were not, um, they just didn't go in. My mum was in there. Um, and that was it, you know. And then, and then I remember when the whole, my mum wanted to breastfeed, which was really unusual back then, because that was the beginning of infant formulas. I was going to say, that's the next thing on here, where you're talking about breast, breastfeeding was only an option. Mm. Infant formulas were only for extreme cases. Uh, it, and that's yeah. what it used to be like. And then as I think it was around the 60s and 70s, they started to change. But my mum never saw it as an option. She just saw that it was an emergency. So, yes, formula milk started for emergency situations, not for options. Yeah, right. And when you consider what formula milk is made from versus what breast milk is made from, I'm sorry, there's no comparison. And the reason why these young women can't breastfeed their babies is, is due to a lot of things. Um, and a lot of these things that I'm talking about precursing yeah. creates this problem. And I, I've had a couple of girlfriends who haven't been able to breastfeed. Like their milk comes in and then within a couple of weeks they're dry. Yeah. What, what is that? It could be a number of things. Um, it, it could be that they're not healthy enough and they're just killing themselves as opposed to, to feeding the baby. Right. So when the, that baby is in the body... Uh, the body does everything it can to make that baby survive. Once that baby's out, um, then it helps you survive. Right. So that's it. it's a survival mechanism. It could be that. It could be they're eating the wrong food. It could be that they had an induction. It could be stress. It could be they don't want to do it. it. I don't know. There could be millions of reasons why that happens. But the thing is, is that what I wrote these 50 points for was that we do these without thinking now, but they weren't done 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, yeah. So formula feeding is no longer, it's, it, it can be a choice because there are milk banks out there for our, our babies. You know, we, we do have milk banks out there. Women will um, express, they've got so much milk, they'll express milk and have it on bank and you can actually buy the milk from, the, from a human milk bank. So what's the go with that? Is that, is that, is that a good thing? Well, we used to have wet nurses, you know, there were wet nurses everywhere. So if you couldn't feed your baby, there was another pregnant woman around that maybe had lost their baby and they were willing to be a wet nurse or had so much milk that they're willing to, to nurse that baby. Or um, you were talking about in Africa, you know, the black baby would, the black woman would have the black baby and the white woman have the white baby and the white woman didn't want to breastfeed, so the black yeah, woman yeah, would yeah. breastfeed. Am I right here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, this is another emotive thing. Oh, I would imagine it's very it would be emotive. terribly emotive because yeah. it's a bonding thing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's not only a bonding thing, but I mean, it's emotive for the women who can't breastfeed yeah. and you become righteous about breastfeeding, they become very defensive, as you can imagine. Oh, of course. So, it's, I, look, I'm not saying do one or the other. I'm just saying learn the facts. Yeah, yeah. I've written a whole report on breastfeeding. I've, learned, I've talked about how important um, leptin is in this whole thing. So, we were talking a couple of weeks ago about the fact that there are now um, obesogens. Obesogens? Yeah, Kim called them obesogens. So so the obesogens are, are something that is causing us to become obese, and it's a chemical rather than a food. Well, leptin is the hormone that sets your whole body up. You actually do not have any leptin inside you until you get it from the, the breast. Then it goes to the receptor sites, and it decides on what's happening in your hormonal system. We're just learning this. 
We only wow. found out about leptin back in the 2004 or something like that. And now we're understanding it's in the milk of the woman that gives it to the baby that sets up their hormones, their, the way they use fat cells, the way they do everything. Like, I know I'm giving you, you know, one millionth of what we now know about the breast milk. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So from the mother's breast milk, that determines how the body then... The, the baby use then uses fat. Uses fat, stores fat, um, hormones, everything. So if the mother's body doesn't do well with fat, like if the mother's body, let's say the mother is overweight, this, 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 what's that going to do then? Does that well, then teach the, the baby's body you know about that's how a, to... That's a really good question. Well, yeah, I mean, if the, if the mother's really leptin's not question. working well for her and then she feeds the baby, is that going to have the same impact and is that how it gets passed down? Well, just logically thinking... The mother probably has um, resistance to leptin because she's been, if she's overweight, she's been pouring a lot of leptin into her body and it becomes resistant, just like insulin resistance. But when it's in the breast milk and the baby still has the receptor sites that are quite um, open to leptin, yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I can't see that being an issue unless the baby has taken on what the mother has, but I doubt it. I, I would say those receptor sites have never seen leptin before. So when leptin comes in, right. goes onto the receptor sites, it knows what to do. It's an intelligence within the body. It's an innate intelligence. Yeah. And we know, you always say it, say it again, what blooms the rose? What blooms, the innate intelligence blooms a rose, bakes a baby, blinks our eyes, breathes us and beats our heart. Exactly. We don't know how it works. But it does. But it does. And, and, and I, I think to sum up this whole hour is that, it is about we do have an intelligence within our body, but don't play with it. Mm, mm. Try and work with it as best you can. Um, and if you have an emergency situation, then you know who to go to. Yeah, you yeah. Know, we, we do have emergency measures for all of this, but let's think about what we're doing. Let's not believe that this is the right thing that we should be doing. And even antibiotics we didn't get a chance to talk about, but you know, antibiotics and ear infections and things like that were not done back in those days. I think it's worth continuing on with this list because this list is awesome but I think I think it's definitely worth continuing on with this list because then you start talking about the vaccines that we get through you know our, our childhood mm -hmm. ages through school and you know all of that sort of stuff and then of course as you meant as I threw out earlier was the television question yeah yeah <laughs> because I think all of those things are really important mm -hmm. to explore how far we've come and while technologically we've come a long way what's been the cost and what have been the advantages and what have been the costs. And I think it's really, I think it's a really interesting conversation to open that up and say, well, really, has it been worth it? Yes, some cases. Yes, absolutely, some cases, probably not. Mm. And then what awareness can we bring to the situation to bring us back to our most pure state, which is what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, yeah. is bringing us back to our most natural environment internally between our two ears and inside of our bodies and outside of our bodies. I think that's awesome. Oh, look, I agree. And if we can just put that in food perspective yeah. and how we've evolved. So grain, um, you know, we've talked about grain over our podcast. And, and grain is really getting a really bad rap. Mm. But I want people to know that if it wasn't for grain, we would not have become civilised. We would not have a population the size we have now. It was because of grain that we were able to not be hunter-gatherers anymore. You know, a hunter-gatherer with 7 billion people on the planet would never... Mm, it, there mm. would be people starving everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So it was the fact of grain. Now, was that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I wonder. Y you know, I you, wonder. I mean, have we, yeah. out, have, we over, have we outgrown our pyjamas? Exactly, and it's the yeah. same goes with technology and the same goes with all these drugs and... You know, it, it saved, like antibiotics has saved people from dying from pneumonia and things like that. Yeah. But what we've done in the meantime is that we have a war on our microbiomes and we've destroyed the microbiomes, which have been our protector. And now we have unbelievable autoimmune diseases such as type 1 diabetes, Hashimoto's graves, which we've, we've been yeah. speaking about in our previous podcast. So while I, th I think we have to question that, was it a good thing? It happened. We're now civilized. We now have huge population. But will it be our undoing in the end? Well, you've got to question it when you consider through the whole agriculture of how much of our, our land is taken up to grow grain to feed our animals, such as feed the cows, so that then we can then eat the cows. But now the, key, the cows at the feedlots themselves are being diseased and we're eating that. So, I mean, really, are we... And they can't digest it. And, you know, I mean, it's just this huge, big question mark about 
Every aspect, just every aspect. Mm. And even what we've been talking about, and we've only got to step six. I know, we've only got to step six. We've only got to step six, and even what we've been talking about, I think it's time we, we really question it. And, it. and not everybody's going to question this. Mm. But I think our Up for a Chat listeners are people who do question. and They're curious. And they're curious. And if, you, you know, if you're a mum that's got a, a daughter, like my daughters, um, that are of, um, they can have babies, then maybe let them listen to this. Mm. Let them have a discussion about it. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying don't do it or do do it. I'm just saying have a discussion. Yeah. And Google it. Yeah. Yeah, get some Google's get some great. research. Professor Google's great. Love Professor Google. Yeah, love he him. rocks. Yeah. Well, we hope that you guys have enjoyed this podcast, and we don't have Kimmy with us to finish it off. But I think we've done all right. I think we did well, Karen. I think we've done well. I think we could get rid of her, actually. I think we could. Don't mm-hmm. tell her we saw no, we that won't. though. No, don't let anybody know that we're getting rid of her. Yes, between mm-hmm. us. Yeah, secret squirrel. Mm. But you know, but our tash. You know what else? So I have to tell you. When she left, I got scared. You got scared? Yeah, because what? oh, we bounce off each other so beautifully, and you know, oh, yeah, and it was like that. it was like my arm had just been taken away, and it'd be I like know. if you left. I felt the same thing. Yeah, I did, but don't tell Kimmy that. No, no, we'll still get rid of her though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so go to our Facebook page, all the w's dot facebook dot com forward slash up for a chat, and post your comments about this podcast. Tell us about your thoughts. Tell us about your daughters, and whether you're prepared to open up a conversation with them. Because as, as, as you say, Cindy, I think it's crucial. Mm. It's worth it. You know, we've, if, if, if I don't have kids, but if you guys have already had your kids, then you've learned from your experiences and, mm. you know, perhaps it's a chance to maybe introduce a whole new way of doing pregnancy. And I think there's definitely, there's definitely been a movement up here on the Sunshine Coast. Mm. We had about nine girls all have their babies all at once and they all did the hypnobirthing. They all had their babies in... in um, water births mm-hmm. and they all did it at home and nobody yeah 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 it's so cool yeah and nobody had any complications mm. none of them I mean that's just a statistic of, of what worked out well I mean I don't know anything different from that but mm. yeah they all had really amazing experiences and they were very um, oh what did they say it was a spiritual experience they felt that it was a very spiritual experience mm. yeah, and I, I think it is I, I really do and you know in Holland and um I realise I'm adding an extra information here, but in Holland, they encourage you to have your baby at home. Do they? Mm, it's just, it's just nations. People don't realise that, you know, we're very insular down here, and this is what happens here is what we believe happens all over the world. But we've already talked about the French. Yeah. You know, their pregnancy time is different, and now the Dutch, they say have your baby at home. Mm. They encourage it at home. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Mm. So go to Facebook, let us know your experiences. If you had a home birth or if you had a hospital birth, we want to know what you had. Tell us all of your stories. You can also reach us on all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So go and post all your comments there. We're going to keep an eye out for them. Also, it's time for you guys to start letting us know what you want us to talk about. So send through your suggestions and send through your ideas and we will get stuck into that for you guys. So join us here on Up For A Chat and be part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We're going to see you next week on The Ride. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.